Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. All right, hello everyone, and welcome back to the program. At this hour, Kathy Hobbs Design Recipes is a residential interior design firm founded in 2004 by celebrity interior designer Kathy Hobbs. She's a five-time Emmy Award-winning TV host and finalist on Season 6 of HGTV's Design Star. We will talk to Kathy up front this morning and get all the news from her camp about what is hot and what is not in designing and staging. Also at this hour, this year in New York City real estate, uh, rents peaked, luxury wallowed, and affordable homes became increasingly hard to find. The city economy boomed, but for many New Yorkers, affordability remained an an enormous challenge and a task. We will talk about five predictions for 2018 regarding this market, but first, I would like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. I am Vince Rocco, and you are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate here live in New York City. Savvy businesswoman Bethany Frankel continues to prove that a skinny girl can make great deals. This time, the former house, uh, the former star of uh, Real Housewives of New York City showed her usual acumen by paying $2.495 million for a modern-style East Hampton beauty known as Morning Glory House, which has been listed for as much as $3.2 million. Such a bargain and such a deal, right? According to the New York Post, the Morning Glory House was sold to Bethany Frankel in the, at the end of 2017, adding to her collection of Hamptons real estate holdings. She also bought a Bridge Hampton home a few years back on Lumber Lane. Frankel has been uh, busy swapping New York City apartments in the wake of her much written about uh, divorce from her ex-husband Jason Hoppy. Much more with Bethany when she teams up with Frederick Eklund from Million Dollar Listing New York in a new Bravo series about buying and flipping New York City real estate, and that is coming soon. Actress Stephanie March and her businessman husband Daniel Benton dropped $35 million on the penthouse at the Shepherd in the West Village. The power couple plans to combine two units at the newly converted building, according to the Wall Street Journal, creating a five-bedroom duplex spanning 6,800 square feet with an additional 3,400 square feet of outdoor space. March is a former Law & Order SVU star and married Benton, a hedge fund manager and tech investor in September, according to the journal. Benton still owns a penthouse on the Upper East Side together with his ex-wife, which cost him $39 million in 2012. My God, March is settling her affairs with ex-husband chef and restaurateur Bobby Flay. Anyway, uh, we have a special guest with us today, Kathy Hobbs. She is uh, one of the most sought-after design and home staging experts in the country. Kathy is known for her creative use of color, space, and distinctive blend of timeless furnishings, fabrics, and materials, always with a focus on what is extraordinary and unique. With each project, she combines her professional design skills honed at the Fashion Institute of Technology, her keen visual eye perfected during her 20 years as an Emmy Award-winning television correspondent, and her global approach to design, realized through her extensive travels to exotic locations around the world. Good morning, Kathy. How are you? Good morning, Ben. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for calling in today. Absolutely. I am excited because I also... I'm excited to talk about the winter market, which for me has been hotter than ever. Probably one of my hottest winter selling seasons yet. All right. So before we get into it, tell me why. Because uh, it's interesting you say that I'm hearing a buzz about how the start of this year is really looking good. But from a design perspective, what is creating this demand? For me, 
I'm seeing a lot of sellers wanting to uh, really capture this winter market. Typically, I go to uh, Europe over the winter holiday, and that's kind of my lull. And this winter, I was on the phone the entire time with brokers who had anxious sellers almost like uh, waiting at the gate for January 8th to roll around to get their properties on the market. I think that a lot of sellers are seeing that it's not just all about a spring market, that they can really capture the winter market as well. And we're doing gangbusters this January. It's it's really um, extraordinary uh, to see. Yeah, from from a, a real estate perspective, uh, you know, I was hopping from November and December, which usually is quite, kind of a slow p- period in time. But, you know, moving right into January, things seem, things seem like they're on the path to be, I think, very busy, at least for the first quarter or first half. So let's keep our fingers crossed on that. But speaking about sellers, you know, I, you know, Brick Underground did a story, uh, I think, last week or the week before on staging and getting places ready for the market and you are an expert at this so you're ready to put your apartment on the market it's ready to meet the public but does it really look the way it should and so there are a few things here that they say do not ever do because if you do them you're not going to sell your apartment let's talk about a list of about nine or ten items first when you're staging an apartment whether it's completely staged or you're you're fluffing and and moving things around uh decluttering uh what what about personal items on view a lot of people have different opinions on personal items what do you think about that they have to go you they have to go and what happens and needs to happen for a lot of sellers is they need to have an emotional disconnect with the fact that their home is now on the market i often tell people i'm not asking you to sell it I'm not asking you to get rid of these items. I'm just asking that we remove them for the purpose of marketing and selling your property. And what happens a lot of times, Vince, truthfully, at the point that someone allows a stager to come into their home, by the time we walk in, not necessarily at the initial meeting, but by the time we walk in, they have come to terms with the fact that we're really there to properly market, get them the best price possible and that we have their best interest in heart and they allow us to do those things. But when somebody walks into a home, they shouldn't know someone's race, religion, sexual orientation, uh, political views, or even musical taste. They should be able to see the property. Those are, it's, it's not about someone's personal vacations and, and things like that. It's really interesting how you use the term emotional disconnect, and I think there's a lot of issues with that with sellers in general uh, just as they go through the process. The second one is bad color choices. Now, we all have our favorites. We all have our our own personal tastes and stuff, but bad color choices, how do you define that? It's interesting because a lot of people do like using my company because I'm an ASID interior designer, but I tell them that when I stage, it's a completely different process. I often say that design is for living and staging is for selling. When we go in and we design a home, it's all about your personal taste. It's about your personal colors, your personal interests. And when we sell, it's completely the opposite. We are trying to appeal to the largest amount of potential buyers. And that tends to be neutral colors, your blacks, your totes, your grays. Now, that's not to say that that's all we use. 
we, we use pops of colors as accents, but the, but the bottom line is we need to neutralize as well as depersonalize. Very interesting. And there are a lot of people listening today because design and staging are very hot topics in New York City real estate and in New York, uh, you know, living to begin with. So we have a lot of people listening to to this and to your tips. But bad colors can be a real, real issue. What about scale? There are, you know, ignoring scale in a room, scales, a furniture scale of the room. Talk about, you know, the, the that for a little bit where that can really break a room, as I say, if the furniture is all wrong. Most people have too much furniture inside their home. It's seldom is buying the quote-unquote set successful. Buying the, the sofa, the love seat, and the chair. Buying right. the hutch, the chest, and the bed, and the two nightstands. So matchy-matchy. Matchy-matchy. It, it tends just to be, in general, a situation where most home buyers have too much furniture. Mostly because... Their home is full of their favorite things. It's a representation of what they own. And a lot of times people just don't even have a place to store the excess. And so many times when we say someone says, oh, it just looks kind of a little bit bare to me. I said, that's the way you want it to look. You want it to look not bare, but minimal. You want it to uh, be able to showcase the property. And at the end of the day, I always tell sellers, we're selling the space not the stuff. People are not coming in to buy your personal belongings. We want them to be able to see your property. How about poor lighting? Poor lighting is something that really gets me. A lot of people don't understand the value, especially in marketing your apartment when you don't have the proper lighting in your home. A lot of people actually purchase a home or a property or, or based on sunshine. Most people do not want to walk in and see a dimly lit space. So we often add extra lighting. We often exchange bulbs for higher wattage bulbs. That's actually a very important part of what we do. How about too much theatricality? (laughs) When I read this one, I really kind of enjoyed this one. Avoid. Well, I want to know what you what you mean by that. What is what well, does that mean? Just kind of overdoing it over the top. Yeah, avoid any urge you have to add what you might mistakenly think are dramatic touches. I mean, again, everybody has their own personal taste, but you know, the 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 flair for the dramatics shouldn't necessarily be in your home as you're listing it because you might turn people off. Right? You might have a well, you might have a a distinctive, you know, like for a particular uh, piece of art, but it might be offensive. So you don't really want to have that hanging on the wall because people walking in. And I remember a live situation on the Upper West Side many years ago when I first became a broker. Two of my colleagues had a listing uh, on Central Park West. And on several walls, there were uh, large paintings of men with, you know, there are things hanging out. So, and they were all over the place. And people were very offended when they walked in to see the apartment, as were some brokers. So the suggestion to that seller was, Mr., please take down these paintings because we're never going to sell your house. But at the same right. time, maybe it'll give people a positive thing. Like I'm about to put on a listing where the this seller is one of the producers of Hamilton. And he had a like empty space in the apartment. And I said to him, "Put do you have a poster? I was like, do you have a Hamilton poster on you? Frame it before we take photos and he did so that's basically what i mean by theatricality i mean you got to kind of limit what you know you might think is great but other people might be offended by or just don't like for whatever 
Same thing with too trendy. How many times do you walk into homes, Kathy, where you think it's just too trendy? I walk into a lot of homes that I just think are very owner-specific. Very owner-specific. And uh, you mentioned you mentioned the, the kind of personalized art. We did a, a staging for someone who owned an art gallery, and they were very offended by things that we asked them to remove. And they were, they were, um, they were risque. Uh, let's just, let's just right. say that. Uh, one of the things I want to go back to, though, when you talk about kind of setting the stage, that's really what staging is. It actually initiated with, with the, the theater industry, and, and that's what you want. We're selling a lifestyle. We want people to be able to come in and not see it as your home, but be able to see it as a home for themselves. And we're selling a lifestyle. We're saying that you can enjoy morning tea in this breakfast room with this gorgeous view, that you can enjoy this dining room with your family and friends for special holidays and lounge in this gorgeous living room. That's what we're selling. We're selling a lifestyle, and people have to be able to see that. When we do properties that are occupied, meaning someone lives in the home, I say to them that, we, that all of these things have to, to go, the personal items. They have kids, and they say, well, what about the toys? No problem. Put them in bins. And when you are there and you're enjoying your home, they can play with those toys. But when you have showings, put them in the bins and put them away. Same with bathrooms. I don't want to see washcloths, toothbrushes, shampoos in the shower. Put in a little caddy. Use your bathroom. And for showings, I need to see it bare. It needs to shine like a new penny. It needs to show like a model home. All right, we have to leave it there for a second, take a break, but we will come back. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. 
listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back, and we're talking to celebrity interior designer Kathy Hobbs. Design Recipes is her firm. So look that up uh, when you have to. So, Kathy, back on some of these things about being too trendy, too masculine, too feminine. We want to present, as you keep saying, in a very neutral fashion, decluttered, kind of slick and shiny and clean. How often, though, do you walk into places and have difficulty with sellers who don't necessarily want to take your lead? I mean, I know it's difficult for brokers, you know, but sometimes it's even more so with you because you're the one who's going to be making that place perfect for the agent to present to the marketplace? I am perhaps met with some resistance initially, but once we are retained, I think the seller is open to the process. At that point, they've made a commitment. They've made a financial commitment. And they are trusting us. And I have very, very few sellers that insist on keeping items that we would just prefer to be moved out of the property. And again, I just really insist on the fact that we're not asking you to sell these items. We're not asking you to give them away. We're just asking that they be removed for the purpose of selling your home. And what we also call it is a partial pack. We say, we're just at, you're just actually packing early. We're going to be selling your home. So what's right. going to happen is we're just going to do a partial pack. We're going to move out the excess. We're going to fill in the gaps with our own rentals from our staging company. Then we're going to sell your home. And then those items are going to be joined with what remained in your home at your new residence. But again, don't you think that that's part of that emotional disconnect where people, you know, they get engaged, they want to sell, they think, you know, everything is going to be great. And then there's something always pulling them back where they say, well, but I still have to live here. And well, this is still my home. And well, I still need my stuff around me. So it's kind of hard for them to kind of separate all that with what you've just said, meaning you're not selling all their things. You're just selling their apartment so they can move on. By the way, it was their choice to list and sell. So you're going on to the next and you can have all your stuff back again. One of the things that bugs me always is chaotic closets. You walk into an apartment to take a listing. And I actually had you know, a box of shoes fall on my head years ago <laughs> as I opened a master bedroom closet. I got conked on the head by a box of shoes because I, it's crazy. I always tell my buyer, my sellers that if they can't fit in their own closet, how is somebody else going to come in and move in and try to fit into that home? Well, there you have it. Yeah. Kathy, what do, you, what do you do with that? I mean, you know, furniture is one thing. Paint color is another thing. Chaotic closets pose quite a problem. Closets are tough because if someone lives in the property, we don't, we don't, de- we're not declutterers. That's what a lot of people think of, uh, of right. when they think of a stager. We don't we don't declutter someone's home. Uh, either someone, either the moving company comes in and declutters it, or a homeowner does it themselves. I say with closets, I may not go into your closet, but a potential buyer certainly will. And these closets have to at least show space because if a closet is overstuffed, then a buyer is automatically going to think that the home doesn't have enough storage. That's, that's the emotional connection that they're going right. to make when they right. see an overstuffed closet. Going that is back a to tough your point one. earlier, 
Exactly. Sorry, Going Kathy. <laughs> no, go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to say, I think that's a tough one, though, because sometimes, especially in, in the city, you know, people only have so much room, obviously, and a lot of these apartments that we sell don't have storage units. So, you know, yeah. if they are decluttering and they're getting rid of things, um, you know, I always say, hey, if you have something like a car where you can put stuff in the trunk, maybe for a little while, that's amazing. If, if you have a storage unit elsewhere that's on the building. But I, mm-hmm. I, I always say, if you do have to stuff things into the closet, <laughs> two things, make sure that the doors shut completely and you know make sure that people can actually see how much you are stuffing in the closet because i'd rather a buyer come in and see less things in the actual space than see less things in the closet i always say i always say make sure that they can make sure the future buyers feel like they could add more things to the closet like it should be two-thirds full i mean i, I really i'm a big believer in that when people see and a properly full, folded and yeah, yeah. color coordinated if possible yeah. oh yeah I, that's a that's a real I like that's that a idea. wish list i know i know full i like that idea of two-thirds full i mean going beyond manhattan though what I what I often get because we we stage outside of the city and for those people who are living in single family homes, you're not selling your home and the garage as a storage locker. You're not selling your home and the basement Tell that to as my a mother. storage locker. <laughs> you're selling the whole home, and it doesn't to me. It doesn't matter whether you have storage within your home. It should be off site storage with ever possible. You are investing so much in what for most Americans is their single biggest asset, which is their home. If you have to spend a couple of hundred dollars to get a storage locker off site, you need to do it. This is about bringing your A game. This is about, for many people, one opportunity to impress a buyer. Many people and it certainly will pays not off. come back. Yeah. Yeah, and I think from a real estate agent perspective, you know, one of the hardest things, you know, I always say, well, I can get the listing. I'm I'm confident enough, and sometimes I don't, but most of the time I do. But the hardest thing I really have with with the process is, you know, telling sellers that they have a, a clutter problem or they need to to change things or change the paint colors because I know that's always going to be a very challenging conversation, and it and it usually does. And then when you bring the stager in or the de- or the the de- designer in. It's a little easier because now it's a second opinion, but in, in at upfront, you know, it's always a challenge because they yeah, don't yeah, want to hear it. And I was going to add to that is it, it's one of the first things you need to cover. You got to set expectations. You don't want to go back after that. So the first thing I'll do is I'll go in and take a, a complete tour of that home before I sit down and pitch them, but give them a better sense of what is going to have the best impression. And, and ultimately, of course, the goal being getting the highest price possible for that home. So it's critical, I find, to have that discussion up front so there's no surprises later. Kathy, give us an update on the company. So what's going on in your company these days? Are you still involved in your your, um, paint business as well? No, it's it's interesting because what we're doing now is um, more product-based for the home. I just released a candle line. In January, uh, it's okay. going to be uh, four fragrances every single year. So we actually have one that's winter, spring, summer, and fall. And it's called Kathy Hobbs Design Recipes Seasons, which is really exciting. All natural ingredients formulated by a lab in uh, Santa Monica, California, just for us. And then the company has really expanded. We have 10 stylists now, um, two warehouses, 
uh, all based in Brooklyn. Uh, and I still have a television show that airs on WPIX where I was an anchor and reporter for 12 years and it's called design recipes. And so I'm really still blending television and design, which is, which is great. I mean, that's what I know. So it's exciting. It, it, it's what you know and it's what you do well. Um, uh, how often does the show air on PIX? Is it every it week? Every, it airs every single week. Um, <clears throat> I got into television, I'm going to date myself for a little bit, in 1990. And in 1990, uh, it was just about probably four channels. And now it has expanded. So we air as a Facebook Live show every single Sunday on Channel 11, um, their Facebook page. And then we air in the 5 p.m. news. And then we also are distributed worldwide digitally through Tribune, which owns Channel 11, which is one of the largest media companies in the country. And then it's heavily also promoted on social media. So it's different. It's multi-platform, which is great. All right. Um, Kathy, with that, I want to say thank you for joining us. Kathy Hobbs, a celebrity uh, designer from uh, Design Recipes, her company. Always a pleasure to talk to you, and please come back again. Vince, thank you so much. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye, Kathy. All right. We are live from Blastar Productions here in New York City. This is Good Morning New York. We will be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the Man. show. Okay. All right, everybody, we are back with the panel. Anna Shagaloff from Halstead Real Estate is here. Matthew Cohen from Core Real Estate. Phil Horrigan from LeaseBreak.com. And special guest panelist today, Jay Overby, also from Halstead Real Estate. And a little bit about Jay. He is a New York City residential marketplace expert and consistently recognized as one of Halstead's top producers, receiving awards including Broker of the Year in the Village Office, Broker Specialist of the Year, Development Marketing Broker of the Year, and Most Closed Deals. Wow. He has been featured in the press as both a Trulia and Wall Street Journal Real Trends top real estate agent in New York City here since 2004. He has successfully closed over 400 transactions while being recognized as a top 10 
Halstead agent and being in the top 1% of the company, his most notable accomplishments are the respect, compliments, and loyalty he's earned from the diverse group of clients he serves. I know Jay for many, many years. And, and colleagues. And colleagues. And he's just <laughs> a stand-up kind of guy and a great agent. Welcome today. Thanks, Vince. I'm blushing. Uh, thanks for the warm introduction, my friend. Good to yeah. see you. No worries. Let's get to it. So back in time, developers who are looking to make smart investment plays would throw up a building in Williamsburg, Long Island City, or Bushwick, or anywhere for that matter, and watch the buyers and renters flood in. But those neighborhoods have now largely topped out, and the market for new development has kind of swung a little bit in a different direction. So sending investors on the hunt for the next corner of New York City that is ripe for that type of opportunity that used to exist in the past. So my question to all of you is, where is that next opportunity? Where is that next corner uh, of, of opportunity where a developer can come in, throw up a building, for lack of a better expression, and sit back and wait for buyers to come in? Or will that not happen? It seems to be going deeper into Brooklyn. Would you really think that Bush- Bushwick is topped out? I don't think so. I don't no, think so. I don't think so either. Bushwick is a really big neighborhood. Big. Um, I don't think Long Island City is topped I, out I, either. I, I agree. I don't, I don't think so either. I think Long Island City should be topped out. I think there's way too much building going on in Long Island City. Well, there's not City. enough um, transportation in Long Yeah, City, it's insane. If you if you drive or take the train by it, it's insane. It's like a, a city within a city. I just closed a, a deal out there. I just sold for the first time in LIC, and it's crazy busy. You're crazy. absolutely correct. Yeah. But uh, to your point, Crown Heights, mm-hmm. Bed-Stuy. Yep. These are places that, I mean, when I started in the business, people wouldn't even think of going there. And now, I mean, it's it's cool to live there. I mean, I'm I'm working with two interesting developers because, and they're very different. Like one's smaller, one's larger, and and so, but they're both thinking in the same way. And of course, we can't give all of our secrets away, mm-hmm. but I do think that you know, there's a big there's going to be a big impact on neighborhoods that have more than one subway line in them. So um, that's what makes Bushwick interesting, for example, yeah. because you have the M and you have the L. So if the L sh- when the L shuts down, you still have the M. Like Bedside yeah. has the J and the Z. Um, like the rapper, um, you know, <laughs> I, think, know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think, and, and then, um, a lot of people are talking about East Harlem, like a lot, especially since that big project on 125th, all the way on the East side just got mm. permanent Agreed. improved last That's week. Interesting. Yeah. I think East Harlem has finally. a lot of good value actually. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But Jay, and Gowanus go- is going under a, a big overhaul too. Absolutely. But Jay, I want to ask you because you've done a lot of work in Williamsburg. And so to Matt's point and to Anna's point, you know, about going further into Brooklyn. Do you see that happening with developers putting up these big buildings outside of the traditional, you know, uh, Williamsburg area yeah. or Port Green? Well, first of all, I want to uh, say a, a word on Williamsburg. I mean, I, I think that Williamsburg uh, has still has a lot of legs left in it. Um, obviously, you have the L train that's going to be going down. Right. Um, but there's a lot of, I still see upside because there's a lot of areas that have not been developed. So, uh, my advice would be that, um, you know, in Williamsburg that you perhaps wait uh, until after the, you know, before after the L train is completed. I think there's going to be a lot of, a, a big upside there. Uh, I agree with you too, Matt, on um, on Bushwick. I think there's a lot of upside. But the first thing that strikes me is that I think there's a lot of opportunity if you can find the land uh, up in um, in Harlem, in particular, not just central Harlem, which you mentioned, Matt, but also, and we've talked about it forever. I mean, Vince, when you and I got in the business, they were talking about 125th Street forever. I think it's finally uh, happening. So I'm very bullish on that. I'm very bullish also in the Columbia University area uh, there and, and further north. As we know, we're going to find out pretty soon, right? Because um, Savannah, I believe, is the developer who's doing a, uh, a tower 
um, on the 122nd, I believe, in Broadway. Um, and I think even further north. So that area, um, I think, is uh, certainly has a lot of upside. Um, as far as Brooklyn, frankly, um, I, you know, I've heard things about East New York. Uh, I can't say that I know much about it. Um, I'm not going to pretend to know. Um, I'd like to spend more time uh, out there. Um, but, um, but, but Harlem strikes me because it's still Manhattan. There's something about that and the subway lines. Uh, so I, I think that's that's an area that's... What about other areas of Queens outside of Long Island City? For some reason, it doesn't seem like it's it's really <laughs> right. I mean, we've got Sobro now, or the southern part of the Bronx, Before. that is developing and has been buzzed about for a while. And we're going to be talking to the um, Bronx Borough president on the show very soon here. But you know, Queens always seems to take a back seat to a lot of, you know, bigger developments or grand size developments like we've seen in all the other boroughs. Any particular reason for that? I mean, I mean, I'm seeing a lot of millennials and younger, uh, you know, younger, successful people move from Brooklyn to Queens. So, you know, if you ever go around Astoria and Woodside and Jackson Heights, um, you know, places that are not Long Island City, because it sounds it sounds weird because Long Island City is obviously technically Queens, but people don't actually categorize it in the same category. Um, it's more like You're Manhattan. Right. You're right. But, you know, Astoria, all these other places, when you go to them, there's not only tons of retail. Like if you walk up and down Broadway in Astoria, there's not one empty retail location. And on top of that, they just added more stairs to the end to the end. W or NR, whatever subway is there. So that shows you how much activity it's having. And there's so many rental developments going up in Queens. So Astoria has seen a huge upswing over the last 10 years, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. And I've had more buyers mention Queens as a possible neighborhood than I have, you know, in the previous 10 years. I mean, it, it really yeah. seems like it's one of those neighborhoods people are considering now. Yeah. The problem with buying in Queens is that it's not um, a lot of these buildings, especially further out in Queens are co-ops. And people are not a huge right. fan of them, right. um, especially if they're investing in them. Um, and that's also the the issue with, um, like Jay was saying, that's the the area that Jay was talking about near Columbia. That's the issue there too. Most of them are co ops or you know regulated housing for students. So it should be interesting when condos go up there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the other part of Queens that I hear a lot about, and uh, I always expect it to to jump at some point, is Flushing. Mm-hmm. Um, it did for a bit. I always hope that and be- then flattened. Yeah. I love City Field, but you know um, <laughs> I'm a Met fan. Uh, so, but no, I, there's transportation there. I mean, you have you have you have uh, the LIR, and then of course you have the seven train, and you have an express train uh, going right into that area. So I would think, absolutely. Um, I even know around City Field, not that that would be residential. There's been talk forever about doing some you know very serious commercial space to make that more of a destination, which I think obviously would help that area. Right on the heels of that, Manhattan's townhouse market struggled in 2016 with 454 deals valued at $3.1 billion, down from 492 uh, deals uh, at $4.2 billion in 2015, according to data from townhouse brokerage uh, Leslie Garfield. As of late December 2017, wasn't looking much better. There were only 100 contracts signed on Manhattan townhouses asking $4 million and more for the year, an 11% drop from 16, according to Olshan Realty. But brokers say they're noticing a slight uptick in the market, even if it takes <clears throat> excuse me, longer for deals to close. Is that true? Townhouse well, market. <clears throat> deals are closed are taking longer to close <clears throat> across the board. 
Um, but for townhouses, I mean, a, a slight uptick. I think I think there's there's kind of a um, a trend. So you know, it's been it was trending towards new development, larger apartments, amenities, all of that. And then at some point, somebody goes against the trend, and then it kind of shifts in the other direction. So maybe we're seeing that. I was saying, just think the townhouse market was at an all time low. Like it was not doing very well. Right. So because of that, I think it would be normal to see any uptick. Um, I also. I always like to talk about how the big brokers that I'm friendly with, like I love to pick their brain. There's nothing I love doing more than getting coffee or lunch with them and just hearing what they think. And they, I, I actually got coffee with one of them last week and we were talking about the townhouse market and about how a lot of townhouse buyers that were more high end in places like the Upper East Side and downtown are going to townhouses and brownstones in Harlem and Brooklyn and leaving the Manhattan townhouse scene because you can get, you know, a 6,000 square foot townhouse that you, you know, on the Upper East for 20 million up in Harlem for 4 million Mm -hmm. or in Brooklyn for 2 million. So why not, you know, go to somewhere where it's a little more quote unquote hip. Well, someone that that, that wants a townhouse on the Upper East Side in those particular locations, it's really about the location. So they're, well, I they're was willing gonna, to spend the money. I was going to ask you about that because it seems to me like that's really location driven. Yeah, you can get a house that's just as beautiful in Bushwick as you can in mm-hmm. on the Upper East Side or anywhere for that matter because a house is a house and depending mm-hmm. on how it's renovated. But it really comes down to, I think, the location and where people need to be or want to be, especially mm-hmm. if there are children involved for schools. Uh, that drives most of that marketplace. But, you know, it's interesting because um, we potentially have a, a townhouse coming on the market, a brownstone coming on the market this year. Um, and I'm a little skeptical about what the market looks like right now for townhouses. And, I mean, we've spoken about this on the show before uh, and talked about it many times on the program. But, you know, when someone pays $17 million for a townhouse a few years ago and probably expects that back and more – I'm I'm not so sure, mm-hmm. you know, where we are. And this is Upper West Side uh, in a very good neighborhood, Park Block, of course. But, you know, we're, we're talking high uh, dollars, and I'm not so sure there's going to be so much of a demand. But, but again, so when I look at, you know, uh, statistics like this, and I see there's a slight uptick, I have really pretty much seen the complete opposite over the last mm, 18 months to two years for the townhouse market. Now, I work a lot on the Upper East Side, too, and I see a lot of, you know, signs outside of these magnificent townhouses on the Upper East Side for sale. I don't know the prices of all of them. I've looked up a few of them. But, you know, as Matt said before, $20 million, maybe $25 million, $18 million, they're all very pricey on that side of town. Who are the people who buy these? Are they the same people who buy penthouses? The same people who buy in these uber luxury, you know, uh, buildings and, 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 you know, combined apartments for $15, $20, 35000000 million? I mean, who, who buys these? Everyone's going to say I'm sound, I sound crazy, but I really just don't think they have the cachet they once had. You know, when I was growing up, Townhouses and, mean. yeah, when I was growing up, and you know, people were still very into old New York, and I think there are there is that you know there is that group still, but I just don't think it's as large as it once was. I think that that you know that cachet has turned into what Anna was talking about of the new developments of the bigger new developments of the penthouses of, you know, Greenwich lane of four forty three Greenwich. I think that those are taking a lot of those buyers. Uh, yeah, they, they are. And, you know, there's always the debate. And again, we've talked about this on this program before, you know, would you rather live in a townhouse, a penthouse, or would you rather live in a townhouse? I mean, they are two very distinct properties. Uh, and you know, you've got 50% of the people want one or the other. So it really depends on your lifestyle and and what you're going to do with that kind of stuff. You know, sometimes it's all about amenities for people, and sometimes it's not. 
Um, so the country's first luxury apartment building is struggling to compete with new condo developments. Two units at the Dakota, a very storied building on the Upper West Side, built in 1884, went into contract this month after sitting on the market for several months and undergoing numerous price cuts. If the deals for the apartments owned by singer Roberta Flack and the late socialite Jacqueline Bickhoff close this year, they will be the first units in the building to go to be sold rather since 2016, the Post has reported recently. Though the building saw a big ticket deal in 2015, the sale of Lauren Bacall's nine-room apartment for $21 million, other apartments have languished on the market and are undergone a series of discounts. What is happening to the old world New York and storied and very famous buildings that, you know, a lot of us, you know, grew up with or came to to appreciate Manhattan to be? Uh, it's like they're so not on the page anymore. They're just not trending and they're not popular anymore. I think it's too early to say that people have written off those kind of properties. Um, the market in general isn't doing so well. So there's pr- price cuts across the board. Um, I also think the more new development properties come on the market, then there's going to be less as a percent, as a percent of the total of these sort of old world properties. So I don't know, maybe I'm just like an old New Yorker at heart, but I think there'll always be demand for those. And I don't know those two specific properties, maybe you guys do, but they could have just been overpriced like everything else. I was going to say. Well, also the Dakota is known for insane maintenance. I mean, those units, some of them have like $20,000 a month maintenance. And insane co-op board. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to Phil's point, like that's, that's a little ridiculous, but no, I, I think that I agree with Phil. Like, I don't think that's going away. I just think that, that the group of buyers who are interested in that old New York is smaller, like I was saying. I think that, you know, people who liked the Ansonia and the Apthorpe and the Dakota, um, you know, now look for something that's a little more of like a twist. You know, talk about what's the um, the project in Tribeca that I'm going to blank on for a second that's being converted and Jeremy Sign, we were just talking about him is doing the sales um, uh, I'm blanking on it, sorry but but things that are conversions of old New York, I think that's what well, is really sparking yeah. people. Well let's keep in mind too that you know if you're in that price point and you have the choice between co-op versus condo you've got to be very very thorough in looking at your condos, not to mention the fact that and I think the Zeckendors were the first to do this, they started to incorporate designs in new condos that felt more like pre-war buildings, right? So Mm -hmm. my opinion is probably 15 was the first one to do that. So larger windows, you have the facades, um, you know, that uh, are beautiful um, and, and look a little bit older world. So I think that besides the fact that everybody knows who looks at the Dakota that it's not a slam dunk you're going to pass. Just look at the celebrities who have been turned down and who wants to go through that full vetting process in a lot of cases. I think that also, um, I think the story that goes behind that that purchase and the history of that particular apartment, I think that'll always have life. Um, what I don't think is that people are going to be paying the intense premium because of who lived there. Mm. So people love that, but... If they're going to get the same amount of space or more and make and have an easier time buying in a condo, they're still going to have the story that they almost bought that, you know. I, I 100% agree with you on yeah. that. 100%. We have to take a break. We're live from Blast Off Productions here in New York. This is Good Morning New York. We will be back after these messages. Don't go away.
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Now, everybody, we are back with Anna Shagalov from Halstead Real Estate, Matthew Cohen from CORE Real Estate, Phil Horrigan, LeaseBreak.com, and special guest today, Jay Overby from Halstead. Halstead Real Estate. So this year in New York City real estate, rents peaked, luxury wallowed, and affordable homes became increasingly hard to find. The city uh, economy boomed, but for many New Yorkers, affordability remained an enormous challenge. Despite these issues, a majority of New York voters agreed that a mayor uh, who ran on ending New York's tale of two cities should stay in office for another term. In the next year, we'll be watching more luxury uh, super tolls going up, as well as what's going down in the mayor's office. Here are five predictions for 2018 that are being talked about as we enter this marketplace. Number one, transportation changes will drive new demand. Do we agree or disagree with that? And this is across the city. I I think it always does. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I agree. Agree. What kind of transportation changes, though, are they talking about, though? I mean, the ferry. The ferry is a big one, yeah. Yeah. And what mm-hmm. about the, the, the loss of the L train? Is that going to affect things? Uh, it is. For that neighborhood, absolutely. And anything along that line, absolutely. Uh, but the ferry is a big discussion that overcomes that objection now because they're, they're running a more, so a lot of financial folks are okay with Williamsburg because of the ferry. Mm-hmm. Rents will fall and concessions will rise, MrLeaseBreak.com. Probably true. Probably true. There's still so much inventory on the market. So um, 
I am hoping that if, I guess, if the sales market gets a little tighter, then maybe people, or, and less affordable, people may jump into the rental market. So that could help the rental market a little bit. But I don't know. It's not, not looking good so far. I agree with that. Renters will not be phased by the quirky amenity craze. Yeah. I, mean, I just for, first want to say that the rental market, from my experience, has been down for the last two years. Um, and I think it'll continue to go down. Um, and the quirky amenities that you're talking about, Vince, mm-hmm. I, look, I think that as a owner, as a landlord, you have to be aggressive and meet the market. So whatever you can do to, to capture tenants, whether it's... Get a bowling alley. For, right. Yeah. So, you know, if you, you can do it... And, accordingly. I mean, there's yeah. so much inventory right now. Yeah, but, you know, the, but this affects the investors out there who want to buy, you know, yeah. properties to rent out. And they're not really being successful in that, at least from what I'm seeing, because it's not really a hot enough market for them to make the return on their investment that they've, they're they used to or that they still want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I wanted to just tie it into something we said earlier about all these outer borough neighborhoods in Brooklyn and Queens. I, I believe strongly that that's a big factor playing into rent suppression because mm-hmm. not only is there a lot mm-hmm. of inventory in the market, say in Manhattan, but there's inventory in the market in all places and people are willing to live now in other places that they would not normally have considered mm. years ago. It makes a huge difference. On, on Phil's point, I completely agree. Like I'm excited to see, I think 2018 will be the year of um, what, is the renter's movement. I think like, what is the movement of a tenant? Because it's always, do I stay? Do I do another year? Do I, you know, look at other buildings in my neighborhood because they're doing better deals? Or do I look at other buildings elsewhere? Because they're such deals. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think Mm -hmm. it'll be a really interesting year to see what people, what renters do, especially, um, you know, I think you're going to see a lot of finance people buying because of bonuses just coming out. And, uh, you know, outside of that, I mean, we talk about Long Island City and how people feel like it's part of Manhattan. They're going to have over 50,000 rentals coming onto the market over the next two years. So talk about vacancy. That's insane. That's insane. Yeah. I mean, that's outrageous so uh, you know that if, if I wow. was a renter and <laughs> I was open to living in multiple neighborhoods and there were you know such a big influx of new rentals coming on the market somewhere I would try and you know negotiate the you know what out of that yeah I think that I think at the end of the day it's always going to come down to price and I think concessions are actually a really big thing right now I've got a couple of uh, rentals that I have for investors I had to convince them to pay the fee even though they are now paying the fee people are still coming in asking for a free month Mm -hmm. or asking for um, you know utilities pay or whatever it is there's um, it's never enough there's no free lunch there's there's not for us there isn't for them, there is. <laughs> I was going to add to that, you know, from an, an investor's perspective, right? They look at the front end and the back end. I'm finding that they want to see cap rates probably used to be four, but now they'll do it, some of them at three and a half, but they're also believing long-term maybe in that location. Um, for the investors that I have that I've been renting, all of them, all of them have to be sold and they are to be effective um, on paying the broker fee. You've got to pay the broker mm-hmm. fee, um, you know, up front. I also find though in good buildings... You usually have to pay the broker fee, but you usually can still do okay and hold your own because there are enough people that want to be in those specific buildings instead of being in a, you know, a standard or a, a rental building without without owners within a, within that community. Item number four says luxury prices will hit new lows. 
what are we considering for this year? What are we considering luxury? Uh, I'm going to guess and say they didn't point it out in the article. I'm going to say probably five million and over. I mean, I mean, that's what I consider luxury these days. I mean, um, I, I just want to say on affordability, which will affect prices. I do think we have two things: interest rates going up yeah. will affect the monthly nut that people have to pay, and they will, that will put pressure on prices. Absolutely. And then this new tax law. Which is going to affect uh, how much people could deduct uh, their mortgage. Now it's, it's it used to be up to a million you could deduct of your mortgage, right? Now it's seven fifty. That will, on the margin, affect some people too. So that we already have a kind of a weakish market, and now we add those two factors. Not great. Although bonuses hopefully will make up for some of it. <laughs> yeah. but, I agree. I think no, no. But hold on. Like I really think that between the tax bill and you know the Fed increasing interest rates three times this year, um, I agree with Phil. Like I think that you're going to see a really interesting ratio between resales and new development from you know up to two million. I think you're going to see new dev go down a little bit and resales do well. And I think I think people. I mean, I'm finding that my buyers, with all the new stuff going on for this year, they have a harder time justifying closing costs if they can negotiate it on a new dev. Like, why not just go to a resale that was a new dev like four years ago? Um, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. on the other side, I think in the luxury market over five million, you're going to actually see the resale market go down, and I think you're going to see the new dev market go up. And I think if you're looking at the Uber luxury, if we're talking over 10, I mean, just look around and look at the inventory. Um, obviously, Central Park Tower is has over 200 units. Um, you still have units left at, we think there's units left at 220 Central Park South. You've got uh, units still left at 432. You've got Seckendorf's Tower on Park. Um, it only makes sense that if you have buyers in that space that you're going to have some nice options. Absolutely. The last one says homes. <clears throat> Under $1 million, we'll see heightened competition. That one makes sense. Agreed? Yes. Yes. I mean, if you can find anything under a million dollars these days, I mean, I think you're, you know, you're striking gold. But, you know, I think when you do see them and I've had a couple of in the uh, apartments in the nine hundred thousand dollar range that were put on at the end of last year and really literally just flew off the marketplace. And you think, well, nine hundred thousand dollars is still a lot of money. These are one beds, Vince? Or? Yeah, ones. One bed and, and condo. And, you know, mm. I mean, running off the marketplace where anything over, I have one hey, for three months at one one and I can't get any movement on it. So, mm-hmm. you know, there is something about that one million dollar mark where, you know, we inched up to that number over it's, the years. That's psychological. Mm-hmm. It is psychological. And but it took us a long time to get up there. And now all of a sudden we got there. And now it seems like we're trending the other way. Mm-hmm. So if you have something to sell that's under a million, you're going to do it quickly. But you are mainly talking about condos. Because, I mean, I like living in a co-op and selling a lot of co-ops. I, I do think that, you know, buyers are getting more and more frustrated with co-ops. I think you're uh, every single agent I talk to, no matter what the price range is, they said 2017 was the year of board rejections. Like hmm. worse than ever. Really? Well, so uh, I don't know. I think that that's what you're going to see a lot on. You know, the co-op marketplace is always a very interesting market, as we've talked about on this program. Uh, there's not much any of us here in this room are going to do about these crazy co-op boards. But in fact, Matt, you're right. Um, there have been a lot of turndowns. Anyway, we are out of time. That's it for me today. That's our show. Thanks to my guests and, and special panelist Jay Overby today. Until next time, be kind to one another for all of us at Voice America all around the world. Thanks for joining us, and I will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. 
Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. 